Welcome to the Ohio District UPCI Podcast. The following message is titled, Embrace the Wilderness, But Kill the Lion, and was spoken by Devin Akers at the Ohio District Senior High Camp. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about the Ohio District, visit us at ohiodistrict.com. Man, I'm so excited to be here. If you have your Bibles or your phone, go ahead and jump to Mark chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to try to live up to all of that that Brother Anthony just said about me, but there are no promises. Most of the time when I go and preach camps, um, there are a lot of mistakes. They think that I am a camper. And so if you've already made that mistake uh, this week, that is okay. And that normally happens. And so uh, literally I preached a camp last year or a couple years ago, and uh, it took one kid till the end of the camp, the last night, to realize that I was the same guy that was preaching at night that was playing on the basketball court in the afternoon. And it just like when the revelation hit him, it was like incredible. It was like the light just came in. So uh, we're going to have a great time this week. I'm excited about it. How many loves your youth president, man? How many loves this awesome youth staff? Absolutely amazing. I love... I love Brother Anthony and Sister Mercedes. They are some of our closest friends, and uh, you all know this about him. Uh, Him and I have this in common. Bro, we both married out of our league. Can I get an amen from some brother in here that's been praying for that miracle in your own life? You guys, I got to say that even though she's not here, she'll be back tomorrow. Uh, She took our little boy, my wife took our little boy, two and a half years old, to go spend some time with his uh, grandparents in Indiana. Uh, But you guys may not know this, but it is my wife's birthday today. Yes. So tomorrow... I'm going to give her honor. She's going to be here tomorrow and on Thursday. And and I love my wife so much. And as I said, uh, Brother Anthony and I have this in common. We both married up. We married out of our league. And I just want to, I just feel the Holy Ghost here right now for some young man. I met my wife in AYC 2011, somebody. And I feel the spirit of the prophet coming on me in AYC. 2019 is about to be your year. You're about to meet your wife, bro. I'm praying that. Maybe at this camp. Who knows? Who knows? And so uh, I'm just praying. In fact, man, let's just pray right now for that to happen. Lord, some of these young men right here, they look like they got hit in the face with a two-by-four. God, it looks like they fell out of an ugly tree and hit every single branch on the way down. But I'm praying that you would blind the eyes of the young ladies at NAYC 2019. And rather than that face, God, they would see a Chris Hemsworth or they would see a Jonas Brothers structure. Rather than a face that only a mother could love, I'm speaking, God, a prophetic word over one of these young men right now. Hey, if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Come on, man. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. God just moved into this place very quickly. Thank you so much, Brother Jackson, for that word last night. What a word from God. That was incredible. I had the opportunity to team up with him in Virginia. Uh, I think it was last year or the year before at a hyphen event, and uh, it was amazing. I, I got done preaching that morning. I walked down 
and we were standing side by side. I'm sure he doesn't remember this, but about seven or eight young men came up to us with their suits and their ties and their Bibles, and, and they walked straight up to us, and they were looking me in the eye, and as soon as they got to me, they turned to Brother Jackson's direction, and they said, Brother Jackson, would you please sign our Bibles? And I was standing there, and I was like, praise God. I don't know what I preached this morning that caused those young men to want to have their Bibles signed by Brother Jackson, but I must have ministered powerfully this morning. And so I love that memory. Sunday night, I'm about to leave my church that we've planted and a sweet, sweet, sweet lady comes up to me and she says, Pastor Devin, I saw you're going to be in Ohio this week. And I said, that's right. She said, that is so awesome. You get to preach with Brother Jackson. And I was like, that's right. Do you have a Bible that you'd like me to take him so that he can sign it, sister? So... No, it really, truly, he's the real deal. Uh, ever since we met in Virginia, this is truth. He's always been an encourager, always texted. In fact, when we started our church, uh, he asked me, how can we donate? How can we be a part of this? And they donated to our church. I love you and I appreciate you. Of course, almost every Monday I can expect some sort of Marco Polo video from Brother Court Chavis encouraging me in this church planning process that we're in. I'm in a room full of people that I love and that have been good to me. Cody up to grave is one of the most incredible people. This youth staff, I'm looking forward to making new friends. The Bounds, the Pamers, this district's been good to me. I am so blessed and I love you guys and I appreciate you and I believe we're going to have a great time this week. Mark chapter 1 verse 13, it says this, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Somebody say the wilderness. And he was with the wild beasts. Somebody say the wild beasts. And the angels were ministering to him. For just a few moments, I want to preach on this first morning. Embrace the wilderness, but kill the lion. Embrace the wilderness, but kill the lion. I believe God's about to speak. Would you put your Bibles down and would you pray with me? Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, for all that you've already done in this place, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for last night. I believe healing was in this place, Lord. I believe you spoke to one of these young people, to many of these young people. And God, you're about to propel us into our future. Lord, this is no ordinary week. I'm speaking in Jesus' name that a great anointing is moving and working and that, God, there's a breaking that's taking place, God. I declare that. I know that is the case, Lord. We're going to rejoice and believe you for it. And God, the prior prayer I pray would be true, God, that these ugly young men would somehow seem beautiful to a beautiful young lady. In Jesus' name. High five your neighbor and say, embrace the wilderness and you may be seated. I'm just kidding. You guys are gorgeous. All of you are beautiful in your own way. The year was 1909. Ernest Oberholzer. It's a real name, y'all. That is a real name. In fact, it's really fun to say. Why don't you just try it? Ernest Oberholzer. Say it. It was oddly uniform from all of you, like a very strange army of people. I thought you were going to say it all at different times, and you just repeated it back to me. It kind of freaked me out. (laughs) Ernest Oberholzer. If you're looking for popular baby names, that's not one of them. He'd grown up in Davenport, Iowa, and been educated at Harvard. He was 25 years old. His life was full, and his future was bright, until an untimely diagnosis stopped him dead in his tracks. You see, Ernest 
had a heart defect. And the doctor's verdict was very grim. Within one year, he would be dead. With the untimely diagnosis before him, Oberholzer did something totally unconventional. Rather than laying in his bed or staying by the fire for the last year of his life, he embraced the wilderness. With a canoe and a backpack, he made his way down the Quetico Superior Country and headed for International Falls, Minnesota. He started canoeing and with every winding turn of each river and every ember that burned out in his campsite at the end of the night, he must have thought to himself this surely would be his last night on earth. But something peculiar took place. First, one year passed and then another. And before he knew it, five years had gone by while he was on his journey and then a full decade. By the time it was all said and done, Ernest lived to be an elderly man. And all, of that, he, all that he had done in charting notes and mapping the countryside, to this day you may not even realize this, but we use the notes and the charts that he took throughout his journey. By the time it was all said and done, he lived to be an old, old man that died of natural causes. He saw some of the greatest sights and made a lasting imprint on history. But ultimately, he attributed his life being saved to the fact that he embraced the wilderness. Often it is the very thing that we try to push away, the very thing that we see that makes us uncomfortable, the very thing that we try to run the opposite direction of is exactly what ends up saving us in the end. Just like in Oberholzer's case, the wilderness of our life will give us the strength to make it another day. The fortitude and the power to live the way that we ought to live. And for a few moments in this place this morning, I want to encourage somebody that it's not time to despise the season or the place that you're in. But it's time to realize that God has placed you there for a specific reason and a specific purpose. And even though it may be uncomfortable, even though it may not be where you want to be in this moment, it's this place that God is going to use to propel you into your future, into your anointing, into the power that God has for your life. You've got to understand this morning that there's something in the flesh that hates the wilderness. There's something in us that despises being in the uncomfortable place, but it's necessary for God to use us in our future. As I was praying for this camp and I was praying in my room this morning, I felt a distinct unction from God that there are young people sitting in this room that when you leave this camp, you're going back to homes that don't agree with what you believe. You're going back to environments of people that don't support you on an everyday level. You're going back to a place where you're going to have to worship in spite of parents, in spite of family. But I've come to tell you something encouraging. It's this season of your life that God is going to use to anoint you greatly. 
It's the wilderness of your life that God is going to use. It's the brokenness. It's the crushing that ends up producing the anointing. And I've come to let you know that it's not time to give up. It's not time to throw in the towel. It's not time to despise this season. But it's time to believe that God, if I can push through, if I can just make it one more day, you're going to anoint me for my future. What you've got to understand about the wilderness is it's the wilderness that fortifies you for everything that you will do in your life. There's no getting around the tough seasons in your life. Many of you will leave this camp and you will begin your first semester in a secular college. Rather than running from that and rather than going in a different direction, you ought to embrace the fact that you're about to step onto a campus that is opposite of what you've been taught. But you ought to know for yourself so strongly that what you believe is true that you can stand in the midst of opposition. There's many of you that will leave this place and you're going to go back to a public high school. And in that public high school, there's going to be the majority of people that don't believe the way that you believe. But rather than cowering down and counting yourself out, you ought to stand up stronger than you've ever stood and make a decision that in this season of my life, I'm going to be exactly who God has called me to be. It's the wilderness. It's the tough season. It's the difficult times that end up anointing you. Understand that before Abraham was ever the father of many nations, before he was ever the patriarch of the faith, God had to call him on a pilgrimage. He had to step out of his comfort zone and walk into a wilderness and fortify something for himself. David, when we think about him, what do we think of? We think of the giant slayer. We think of the king. What we forget is that King David spent a better part of a decade in a wilderness running away from an evil king that wanted to take his life. 1 Samuel 23 and 14 says, David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in the mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. God used the wilderness to protect David. And when we think about the life of David, oftentimes we think about the palace. We think about the giant slayer. But what you've got to understand is before he was ever a king, he was fortified in a wilderness. He was taken through a tough season. There was somebody that wanted to kill him, that wanted to take his anointing away. But because he was willing to stand in the broken place, God was able to use him in his future. Because he was willing to take a stand when there was nobody else around him supporting him, God was able to make something great out of him. There's somebody in this place right now. You've not yet preached behind the pulpit for the first time. You've not been yet sent to plant a church. You've not yet gone to the mission field. But if you'll stand in this season, God's going to anoint you for the next season. Yes, the enemy may be breathing down your neck. And yes, there may be opposition. But in the name of Jesus, I've got a made up mind. And in the middle of it, God's going to anoint me. God's going to do something great in me. Nobody may see it. There may not be anybody around me that knows about it. But I've already made up my mind that I'm going to make it. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. 
Let me tell you something. Some of our greatest apostolic voices right now are first generation voices. Some of our greatest apostolic voices are those whose parents and grandparents had no idea about this and in fact were in opposition to it. But because they were willing to step out and serve God, not because of a namesake, not because of a heritage, not because there was some apostolic patriarch, but because they hadn't made up for themselves. God is using them. And I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody that God's about to anoint you. And don't you count yourself out just because your last name doesn't have a ring to it in this movement. I feel the Holy Ghost, man. We think about David the king. We think about David the giant slayer. But what we forget is it was David in the wilderness. And a lot of times we even think about David the musician. And when I think about David the musician and the psalmist, I don't know about you, but the image I get in my head is David sitting there. And he's got his little harp. And he's just writing psalms. Oh, look at those sweet little sheep over there. The Lord is my shepherd. Hmm. That's what I think of. I think about David on his throne. I think about the king. Oh man, it must have been so easy to write worship songs when you were going through the Lord, hallelujah, right now. Could you give me some more of those grapes? Just feed them to me. Just, just feed them to me. Just wave that palm leaf a little, bit, a little bit faster, right? Thank you, thank you. No, 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 no. The majority of the psalms, the worship songs that David wrote, did you understand that he wrote them in the wilderness? History records that David's worship was in its optimum place when he was facing the greatest opposition of his life. What am I saying? I'm telling you that you're going to fortify a life of worship in the difficult seasons. If you want to hear God speak to you, you will not hear his voice any greater than when you are in the opposition of your life. It's the tender voice of God that speaks in the middle of a dry season, of a tough place, of a wilderness. It's not time to despise where you're at. It's time to embrace it and say, God, you can use me right now. You can speak to me right now. Young preacher, you may not have preached yet, but you ought to be writing your sermons down in your notes. You ought to have a book out and say, you know what? Pastor Haven't hasn't asked me to get in the pulpit yet, but I'm going to write everything I got right now because the voice of God is speaking to me. You may not be in that place where you can express it, but right now in the waiting season, you got to have a made up mind that I'm going to do what I need to do in the wilderness. So what's your wilderness this morning? What is it that you've gone through? What is that place that you felt broken in? What is the opposition? What is the situation? Some people walk in here and you go back to homes where mothers and fathers don't believe what you believe. Some of you walked in here last night and it was the wilderness of being broken by somebody else. And I felt the Holy Ghost speak in this place and begin to heal. And you've gone through that. And many have disqualified themselves based on where they've been. And it's so amazing that in our human nature, we think that that thing disqualifies us, but God in his divine nature is looking down and saying, that's not what disqualifies you. That's what qualifies you to work in my. Exodus chapter three, the Bible says that Moses is on the backside of a desert. Y'all a desert is remote. The backside of a desert. I don't even know what that looks like. That's ridiculous. I mean, Moses is on the backside of a desert. And the Bible says he finds himself in a land called Midian, which means strife. 
He's in a place of opposition. He's in a place of friction. He's in a place where things don't make sense. And the Bible says it is there that God chooses to speak to him through a burning bush and give him the greatest revelation that anybody to date had had. He spoke to him and revealed his name to Moses. He didn't do it in the palace. He didn't do it while everybody was around. He did it in a private place. He did it in a place of brokenness. He did it in a place where nobody knew about. And can I tell you, I know you just like me. Before I ever planted a church, before we ever stepped out on faith, I can remember times in the middle of the night laying in my bed and God would wake me up. And I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel like I had all the resources that I need. I just felt like a teenager, meaningless, and nobody even knew I existed. But the burden of God would get a hold of me in that room in the middle of the night. And I would slip out of my bed and I would fall to my knees and I would begin to pray under a burden. Nobody knows about those prayers. I may stand behind a pulpit this morning and be able to preach, but can I tell you, it's not standing behind this pulpit that makes anybody who they are. It's those prayers in the middle of a night that nobody sees. It's the prayer closet. It's the moments that you fortify by yourself, all alone. It's the places that you make a stand when nobody sees it. It's the wilderness that will make you who you are. It's that place of confrontation. It's that place of strife. It's that place of friction. It's the opposition. It's the high school years where you have to walk through. And yes, they make fun of the way you act, the way you dress, the way you speak in tongues. Look, I'm from a place where not everybody speaks in tongues. This ain't the dirty South. You know what I'm saying? Where everybody's grandma speaks in tongues. It's not like that in North Carolina. Everybody's Baptist where I'm from. Everybody. Except me. I know what it feels like. Oh, that's a tongue talker. I know what it feels like to get in conversation, but you got to make up in your mind rather than cowering down, bowing your knee, that you're going to stand and say, yeah, that's absolutely who I am. And let me tell you something. You need what I got. There's got to be a pride in you that says, no, no, no. I'm not bowing my knee in the middle of opposition. I've got a made up mind. I'm going to, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. God did not call you to live your high school years under a rock. You ought to win your friends. You ought to reach your peers. You ought to make up in your mind. These are going to be the best years of my life. Right in the middle of opposition. You've been thinking about starting that P7 club? Start it. Get it going. Make it, push it forward. I feel the Holy Ghost speaking in this place right now. Before Jesus would ever perform a miracle, he had a wilderness. Before Jesus would ever start his earthly ministry, the Bible says that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And there he would fast and pray for 40 days. And there the enemy would try to fight against him. It's the wilderness that launches you. Don't despise this season. Embrace this season. Don't despise the opposition. Embrace it and say, God, if I'm going through this, it must mean that you trust me enough to do something great on the other side of it. The Bible says there he was, Jesus, our Savior, in the wilderness, Mark 1 and 13. And as he was in the wilderness, how many knows in the wilderness is where the wild things are? And there comes wild beasts. And one of those wild beasts, at least in the spiritual realm, was the devil. Because when you're in the wilderness, you're going to be tempted by the devil. Because that's where the enemy knows you're going to be at your weakest. He's going to try to cut you off in the season of preparation. I want you to hear me right now. The enemy understands that if he can cut this off at the root, 
then he doesn't have to worry about your power. He doesn't have to worry about your anointing. He doesn't have to worry about your talent. He doesn't have to worry about what God has given you because you'll never see it come to pass if he can kill you right now. If he can destroy you right now in the preparation season. If he can destroy you right now in this, in this stage of your life, then he doesn't have to worry about you. It's been his tactic from the beginning. And so the enemy comes in and he sees the Savior, he sees the anointing, he sees Jesus, and he begins to tempt him. And Jesus has to make up in his mind what he's going to do. And so we look and we know the story. Jesus, rather than comforting the beast, rather than speaking to the devil and trying to make excuse, he, he makes up in his mind that he's going to speak the word. And the enemy that day flees from him in the wilderness. But what I feel in my spirit today is that we've got to understand that there's a big difference in the wilderness and in the lion in the wilderness. Because a lot of times we like to call sin a season. A lot of times we like to pretend like the beast is the wilderness. No, 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 no. God did not call you to go into a season that we call the wilderness or that season of preparation and then excuse the sin in your life. You understand what I'm saying? There's a big difference in going through something that's going to fortify you and hiding a sin that's in your life. Hiding a broken thing. Hiding pain that you're not telling anybody about. You've got to confront that. You've got to make up in your mind that, yeah, I may be in a season of struggle, but I'm not going to give myself to some addiction, to some vice, to some, some lustful thing. I'm, not, I'm going to make up in my mind that in this season of struggle, I'm going to get everything out in the open, and I'm going to embrace the wilderness, but kill the lion. And what I've found is a lot of times, rather than confronting the sin, we comfort the sin. Rather than actually looking eye to eye with the devil that's in the wilderness that we're in, we just kind of put our arm around it and say, hey, I'm out in the wilderness anyway. This is just part of life. I'll, I'll deal with you later. I'll deal with you later. And what ends up happening is we comfort this pet sin and it grows and it grows and it grows. Let me tell you what happened to me not too long ago. Um, when, when you get married, I know all of you guys, let me just give you some advice. When you get married, you're like, look, when I get married, man, I ain't making my bed no more. When I get married, when I have my own house, somebody else take out the trash. No, that's not how it works, bro. Like the trash just grows. Like you got more trash to take out than you've ever had to take out. And, and the chores don't go down. They just like exponentially grow. It gets crazy. In fact, the trash exponentially grows. Like literally it happens. Like you'll be walking through your house. You'll put a new trash bag in, pat yourself on the back and be like, I am husband of the year right now. I'm a, I'm a man. And you walk around the corner, come back. And it's like the trash trolls have just like filled the trash can back up. And you're like, how does this happen? It's life. It's real. You guys are like, are you talking spirit? No, I'm, I'm, this is totally not spiritual right now. This is natural. Like I'm just warning you. And so I have this thing where I'm constantly taking out trash. And I got a two and a half year old. He's not quite potty trained yet. Yeah, yeah. You got to take that stuff out quick. I mean, it's like you need one of those biohazard bags for what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? So we have a trash can in our house and, and I'm taking the trash out. And my task is to then take it from that trash can to the trash can outside and then the trash guys come pick it up and they take it to their trash can. So it just keeps going and going. It's endless trash cans. So I take the trash can or I take the trash bag and I'm in a hurry in this particular day. My wife's like, take that out. 
And so instead of taking it all the way to the trash can, I make a mistake. And I set it on the back porch. Come on, anybody ever halfway make your bed? Anybody ever halfway take out the trash? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I didn't grow out of that. I still did that. It was a mistake. And I'm sorry. I've repented over it. So there I am. And I realize a couple of days later, as I'm sitting in my kitchen, I'm looking out on the back porch through the window, through the glass door. And what I realize, and, and it's just a terrible revelation, is that I forgot to take out the trash. And here's how I realized it. I was looking and I saw the most putrid, horrible animal that you've ever seen. A cat. Come on, somebody. If you're a dog person in here, a dog lover, raise your hand right now. Come on, somebody. All right. If you're a cat person, raise your hand in here. We're going to pray all y'all through today. There's an altar call. Jesus is about to touch and cast that demon out of you right now. So I see this cat on my back porch and I'm like, what in the world is this animal doing on my back porch? And then what I realized is that cat was there because I'd left the trash laying out on my back porch and it smelled the trash. You see, it got a whiff of something that it liked and had that not been sitting there, it would have never gotten the invitation to actually step up onto my perimeter. But because I had given it an invitation, it started sniffing around something. And in our lives, we've got to ask ourselves, are we giving an invitation to the enemy, to the lion to step in and try to sniff around in our life? I've come to ask you, what's on your Spotify playlist? Because it's easy to show up and lift your hands and worship God. But if when you put your AirPods in your ears, it's garbage and it's trash, what ends up happening is the lion, the devil, he's seeking whom he may devour. And he smells something that he can get a hold of. Yes, it's great to worship, and we ought to lift our hands and praise God and step into atmospheres like this and feel what we feel. But if we go back to our houses and we cut on Netflix and what's in the queue is something disgusting and wrong or even on the border, we've got to ask ourselves, am I living the life that I say I'm living? Because what ends up happening is it may seem mundane. It may seem small. It may seem like it's insignificant. But if the enemy can sniff it and smell it, he's going to seek it out and he's He's going to try to destroy it. <laughs> See, we're always asking this question. We're always asking this question. This is the question we ask. Will it send me to hell? You ever heard this question? But, 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 but will it send me to hell? Will it, what you need to be asking is, will it send hell to me? Because it's not just about going to heaven or hell. It's about not inviting something into my life that's going to put a root that I've got to deal with later. It's about setting up walls and perimeters that says, no, this is my house. This is my spiritual life. This is my temple. These are my eyes. I'm not going to look on anything that I shouldn't look on that I'm going to have to deal with later. You know what ends up happening, though? Is sin always starts as a pet. Have you ever noticed? Nothing ever starts as a full-grown beast. And has anybody ever seen a baby lion? Oh, they are just precious. <laughs> I mean, anybody loves a baby lion. Put a baby lion next to a, next to a puppy, and you're like, they are just great. Both of them are so wonderful. Let the puppy grow up. It's domesticated. It can, it can be potty trained in your home. Let the lion grow up. 
and see what happens. And has anybody ever seen this crazy stuff about people? I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to YouTube this, but if you did, I wouldn't be against it. Anybody ever YouTube like people that get attacked by lions? I just, I'm not saying you should. Get off my back, people. I don't think I've ever done that. I heard that. No, no, no. I'm talking about, you know, like, like these lion trainers. You know what I'm talking about? That's their job. They, they, they're, they're circus acts. They, they have lions in their homes. What's amazing to me is, is it's the same story repackaged a hundred times. A guy has a lion. He trains the lion. He invites it into his home, lets it sit on his lazy boy, watch TV with him. Then he steps on the lion's tail and the lion mauls his face. Like you can repackage it a hundred ways, whether it's a circus entertainer, whether it's just a crazy guy that wanted to have a pet lion. By the time it's said and done, that lion always resorts back to its original nature. See, because there's a nature in the lion that's going to destroy anything that it can get its hands on. And for a while, you may actually be able to cohabitate with it and even enjoy it and even lean on it and even pet it and even love it and even get comfort from it. It's what you run to when you get disappointed. When things don't turn out the way that you thought they were, it becomes your coping mechanism. When people at the church disappoint you or the Sunday night message wasn't quite what you needed, so you run home and you end up running to that sin, that person, that chat room, that place to get affirmation and you pet the lion and you just love on it a little bit because you have developed a relationship with this. It started out small. It started out as one text message. It started out as one glance. It started out as one search in the search bar. But now it's turned into a full-grown lion in your life. And what happens is one part of your life begins to develop. Your ministry begins to develop. Your marriage begins to develop. And nobody knows that you've got a pet lion in the closet. Because when you were in the wilderness, you embraced that. But the problem was you embraced the lion as well. Yeah, I went through that period of time. Yeah, I, I dealt with some sin, but nobody knows that the pornography addiction is still there because you have no accountability in your life. Nobody knows that that's still the relationship that you run to. Nobody knows that that's the person that you still reach out to. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now because even though you're supposed to embrace the wilderness, there's gotta be a made up mind that in this season, I'm also gonna kill the lion. I'm gonna get accountable in my life and I'm gonna take care of some pet sins that I've let linger around for too long. And I feel the Holy Ghost on this morning service that on the first day of camp, you're going to make a decision to get real about where you're at in your life. And you're going to lay some things down that have been, they've been lingering too long. The addiction's been there too long. The lack of accountability's been there too long. The sin that you run to has been there too long. You're about to put your foot on the throat of the lion and say, no more. I'm not going to let you destroy my marriage 10 years from now. I'm not going to let you destroy my family a few years from now. I'm not going to let you snatch my ministry. I'm taking care of you right now at 17 years old. I'm going to live a life of accountability and truth. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody. 
You hear me right now. It will destroy your marriage. It may be small while you're a single young man. It may be something that nobody knows about while you're a single young lady, but you let that follow you into the next stage of your life. And all of a sudden you're looking at your children and you're looking at your family and you're looking at your ministry. How many times have we watched people step out of pulpits that were preached with anointing and power, but then they ended up having something in their life that nobody knew about. You know why? Because they didn't take care of it in the wilderness. They didn't look at it eye to eye when it first emerged and say, no, I'm finished with you because of embarrassment, because of shame, because they were afraid to reach out. You need to reach out. You need to get accountable. You need to get real. You need... Man, I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody right now. Young man, you don't have to live with addiction. You don't have to let this destroy your marriage. Young lady, you don't have to go back to that over and again. You can confront it right now. Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost. And it's in your flesh. I want you to hear me right now. We always are wanting to come up to an altar and cast out some demon. You don't need to cast out a demon. The majority of what you're dealing with is in your flesh. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life. It's common to man. It always cracks me up. People are like, man, Brother Devin, I don't know how it happened. I don't know what happened. How did I, how did I, how did I get here? And this is what sin does. It, it deceives us. So I'm not, I'm not making light of this. And then you ask them, well, where were you? Well, we were in a parking lot. No one else was there. Okay, one. Okay. What were you doing? Nothing. There was really nothing to do there. No reason to be there. Okay, two. So you had no reason to be there and there was nobody around. What were your intentions? We were just going to talk. Okay. You see that? I don't need to cast a devil out of you unless it's the devil of stupidity. You knew when you showed up what you were going to do. Well, yeah, I got a new computer and I didn't put the accountability software back on it, but I thought I was strong. You knew you weren't strong enough. You knew it. You knew you weren't strong enough, but you still, you saw the moment and the lion came in and rather than killing it on the spot, you embraced it. You loved on it. You petted it a little bit. You, you, you put your arm around the lion. No, no, no. You've got to make a decision right now in this season that God, in one regard, you are preparing me for my future. You are placing anointing and power. You are placing something inside of me that I believe is going to help me change the world. But on the other regard, there's some things that I've got to take care of, that I've got to kill, that I've got to choke out. And in the name of Jesus, this week, you're leaving this place different. You're leaving this place putting the flesh under subjection. You're leaving this place with accountability in your life. You're leaving this place saying, I'm done with the addiction. I'm done going back to that. I'm done. Stand with me all over this place. That's why Paul described the battle with the flesh in warlike tactics. He said, put it under subjection. You can't pray this out of you. You can't stand in an altar and say, God, remove attraction from the opposite sex from me. God, please don't do that for that young man. And you know what? Here's another myth that once you get married, you're only attracted to your wife. 
hey, my wife knows this. Calm down. It's good. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'll just get married and we'll bury this thing. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. You've got to take care of it now. If you want your marriage to flourish, if you want your relationships to flourish, you've got to take care of it now. You've got to make a decision that I'm going to live the life that I was called to live. I preached this message not too long ago at a youth camp. And as I was preaching, I could see one young lady. She was being moved by the Holy Ghost so powerfully. I, I could see it. It was just, and I, I didn't know who she was. I didn't know her background. She came up to the altar. The Holy Ghost began to stir in her and move in her. She came back the next night. Her youth pastor told me the story. He said, what you don't know, he said, is she has a full ride scholarship to play basketball at a college about an hour and a half from here. Her parents don't serve God. He said, what you don't know is that her struggle is homosexuality. This is a, a beautiful young lady. And her parents have been pushing her to go to this school and play basketball. And he said, so she's been torn. And so last night after the message was over and the altar call was over, she walked out and she sent an email to the school deferring the scholarship. True story. She woke up today and before this night service, she got a call from another school who gave her a full ride art scholarship to a, complete, a completely different thing, a completely different field of study because she was willing to kill something in her life and sacrifice something in her life because she knew it would be too much temptation for her. God made a completely different path that she had no idea was even there. Can I tell you, you will never regret killing that thing. You will never regret saying no more. A story, story to you as we end. My mind was absorbed by the biochemistry of gene editing when the text messages and the Facebook posts distracted me. So sorry about Cecil. Did Cecil live near you in Zimbabwe? It's a New York Times article. Cecil, who? I wondered. When I turned on the news and discovered that the messages were about a lion killed by an American dentist, the village boy inside of me instinctively cheered one lion fewer to menace the families like mine from Zimbabwe. But my excitement was doused when I realized that the lion killer was being painted as the villain. Maybe you remember this story. Cecil the lion a few years ago was killed by an American dentist and everybody cried in America. I remember late night show hosts walking out and crying and saying, how could we kill this lion in Zimbabwe? It was such bad ridicule and backlash that the dentist who was on safari in Zimbabwe actually had to move from his home because he was getting death threats from people around him, from people in the United States. And this is the perspective of somebody from Zimbabwe. He says, did all those Americans 
signing petitions understand that lions actually kill people? That all the talk about Cecil being beloved and a local favorite was media hype? Did the late night show host choke up because Cecil was murdered or because he confused him with Simba from The Lion King? In my village in Zimbabwe, surrounded by wildlife, a conservation area, no lion has ever been beloved or granted affection or given a nickname. They are objects of terror where I come from. He depicts a story of when he was nine years old having to run and hide themselves from a lion that had terrorized the village. At the end, he says, don't tell us what to do with our animals when you allow your own mountain lions to be hunted to near extinction in eastern United States. Don't bemoan the clear cutting of our forests when you turn yours into concrete jungles. And please, don't offer me condolences about Cecil unless you're also willing to offer me condolences for the villagers that were killed or left hungry by his brethren. In Zimbabwe, we don't cry for dead lions. Can I tell you, in the church, we don't cry for dead lions. Everybody around you may say, man, just live it like this. Just do it like me. Why are you, why are you so strict on yourself? Why don't you go to those places? Why don't you, why don't you, come on, join us. Why don't you talk in our conversations? Why don't you, why aren't you a part of the way that we say things or the places that we go? And sometimes it's in your school. Sometimes it's, it's outside, but sometimes it's in your own church. That you've got to take a stand and say, no, no, no. I'm not going to talk about pastor like that. No, no, no. I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to partake in this. I've got a standard that I've set up. I've got a personal conviction that I've established in my life because I'm trying to kill something and protect something else. I've got a calling that's greater than any enjoyment or instant gratification. I'm not going to cry over a dead lion. And please, don't apologize for me. I'm happy the way that I'm living. I'm happy living in accountability. Young man, the greatest life that you'll ever live is the one that you're accountable and open with your student pastor. And you go to him and you say, I've got problems i got to take care of. Young lady, the greatest life you'll ever live is when you actually go and confront the insecurities that cause you to go places that you'd never go. Maybe what you need to do is actually delete the Instagram. If you can't handle it, if it causes you to feel like you're less than, if it causes you to feel like, but everybody else, who cares? Kill that lion in your life and live in freedom. And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the Ohio District Podcast.